Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to these. Go to 11. Once again, I'm Nathan Bell. Greg Dutch, you're joining me. Greg, what's going on, man? Fired up. I'm not even going to give my usual banter because I'm dying to get to this interview. Absolutely. And uh, joining us as well, Matt Smith. Matt, how you doing? I'm doing great. It's been uh, been a little while since we've had you on, right? It probably has. <laughs> Yeah. I don't remember the last time, but yeah, it's good to be last, back. What was the last topic we talked to you about? Normally, Matt, the things uh, you share aren't oh, very memorable. It was I was with you guys when we oh, yeah. interviewed uh, uh, Sam Sam. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that was good. Actually, Matt, you were good on that one. Well, hey, every now and then, <laughs> broken. It clock. happens once a year. <laughs> broken clock, blind squirrel. That's yeah. uh, and we we don't want to uh, waste any more time. So our uh, special guest joining us today, um, Paul Tripp. Paul, how are you today? I am doing well, thank you. Excellent. Um, Paul, we just want to give you some time here to uh, give us a brief bio about yourself, friends, family, what you do, um, all that fun stuff. <laughs> well, I've I've been a pastor for many years, no longer in direct pastoral ministry, but think of myself as a pastor to pastors. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm president of Paul Tripp Ministries, which is just... Uh, my trying to be a good steward of the platform that God has given me. My heart is in the local church. Uh, everything we we do and everything I write is meant to strengthen the life and ministry of the local church and the love of the individual believer for the Word of God and for the gospel. Mm. Excellent. Paul, uh, uh, this is Greg, and if I could just ask, because I know a number of our listeners— um, read your books, have heard you speak in, in many venues, and uh, have been very, very, um, very, very uh, edified by your work. And a lot of people I know have asked us and uh, just wanted to get a little sense on how you're doing health-wise, because I know, uh, you know, the recent uh, years have, uh, you've definitely had your share of uh, ups and downs, maybe some more downs. And just uh, for those that are asking, if you could just give us a little uh, brief glimpse into how you're feeling, how you're doing. Sure. I'm, I'm actually uh, feeling the best I felt in a while. Had uh, Great. five surgeries over the last 18 months, which mm. obviously has been difficult. Mm. Uh, but I am facing probably my most serious surgery, November 10th. Okay. Uh, it's it's something I would like to avoid, but it needs to be done. And uh, the prognosis of that surgery is such that uh, it may mean that I won't have to go through this for the next 18 months. <laughs> wow. So, okay. That's it. No, thank you, Paul, for that. And yeah. it goes without saying, um, you know, more and more prayer, mm-hmm. uh, particularly those that listen. Uh, and November 10th, that's something we, we are going to mark and be mindful of. So, mm-hmm. so thank you, Paul. Mm. Um, so today we are um, talking about your book, uh, New Mercies. Um, Paul, could you give us a summary of that book? Well, I can maybe do that by just talking about why I I wrote a devotional. I'm uh, there's there's two reasons. One is that I know in my own experience, it's it's quite easy for me to be a gospel amnesiac, mm-hmm. uh, to forget who I am, to forget what I've been given. I don't think I'm alone. I think. Maybe for many of us, a flat tire on a busy day can bring us 75% of the way to atheism. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Especially when you don't yeah. know how to change the tire. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so it's all of our struggle. Uh, and so in a real way, the, the devotional was written for, written for me 
that that I would always have in front of me my identity in Christ. Mm-hmm. The second reason is as I've as I've talked to many people about their marriages, their their parenting, their work, uh, their encountering of suffering, what I've begun to uh, be burdened by is that people tend to have a good, a fairly good understanding of salvation past, the forgiveness they've received in Christ, mm-hmm. a fairly good understanding of salvation future, the eternity that they will spend with Christ, but they're sort of fuzzy about the present benefits of the work of Christ for the here and now. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that many people have this huge gap in the middle of their gospel and don't understand that Jesus didn't just die for my past and didn't just die for my future, he died for my here and now. Mm-hmm. So I have, a, I have a real burden inside of me. It's, it's one of the things that gets me up in the morning that people would understand, this is my term, the nowism of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's, that's what this devotional is about, and that's what motivated my writing it. Yes, yes. And uh, just to let our, uh, our listeners know, uh, Paul, because we do want to give away uh, copies of the book. So listeners, if you are tuning in at the end of the podcast, once we um, uh, sign off with Paul, uh, we're going to come back on and uh, tell you a little bit more about how you can get a copy of this book. Uh, but just uh, I wanted to read uh, you know, a couple of places probably throughout our, uh, our talk today so our listeners can get a sense of what you'll get in this book. This is one of my favorites. Uh, you write, God was neither surprised nor afraid. You see, there is no mystery with God. He's never caught off guard. He never wonders how he's going to deal with the unexpected thing. I love the words of Daniel 2.22. He knows what is in the darkness and light dwells with him. God is with you in your moments of darkness because he will never leave you. But your darkness isn't dark to him. Your mysteries aren't mysterious to him. Your surprises don't surprise him. He understands all the things that confuse you. Uh, one, Paul, thank you, <laughs> because uh, we hear that often tried adage, preach the gospel to yourself, uh, which at times, you know, I almost fear that because that's such a great phrase and it's uh, kind of like a doing life together. It might be overused. But this, to me, is a great example uh, when, when I read this of kind of taking the truth of God, like you said, to the here and now. Uh, and I think one of the things I like about your writing, Paul, is that you will take um, common phrases and just put a little twist on them. Because we often hear things, oh, this is a mystery, this is a mystery, this is a mystery. But you kind of take a bird's eye view and say, yes, to a certain extent it is. It's a mystery to us. Uh, it's not a mystery to God. And uh, I wanted to ask you a question about that. Do you feel, when you've counseled people in the past that are going through um, great difficulty. Uh, it, it seems to me, um, and Matt, you would probably say this, we're, we're pastors as well, that often people want us to help them give God's reasons for why they're going through this. And outside of Romans eight twenty eight, I, I, I can't say too much because I don't want to presume upon God's reason. When you have counseled people, number one, have you found that they want to know why they're experiencing this? And number two, do you feel a burden to explain why they are going through it? Well, uh, maybe a, maybe a, a just a introduction to what I'm going to say. 
I, I think my my experience is that people don't understand how they that they live theologically. Hmm. I mean, it, it's impossible to be a human being and not be a theologian or a philosopher or an archaeologist, sort of digging through your existence to make sense out of it. Mm-hmm. So people don't realize that you're you're never just dealing with whatever you're going through. You're always dealing with the way that you go through whatever you go through, because you always bring some kind of worldview, some kind of set of uh, perspectives to that. Mm-hmm. And and one of the things that 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 people mistakenly think it's it's actually not a biblical train of thought, is that rest of heart is the result of understanding. Mm. That's just not true. Yes. Because there, I will always be greeted with mystery. I'm always dealing with the unplanned, the unwanted, the unexpected. Uh, I, I won't always be able to put two and two together in sort of street level ways and get four in my life. And the reason is uh, that God's secret will is called his secret will because it's secret. (laughs) Uh, And, and, and the reason it's secret is God is so loving and so kind that he understands the limits of our hearts to absorb and our minds to understand his secret counsel. Mm-hmm. And so what he does, this is, this is so important. He doesn't explain to us why he defines to us who he is. Mm-hmm. And so rest is not found in understanding. Rest is found in trusting the one who understands everything. Mm-hmm. That that's his presence, his goodness, his his love. Can I give you a quick example? Sure, yeah. please. It's it's like a you have a four year old child, doesn't have much of the experience of life, and and you're his parent, and you have to say no to him, and he starts protesting, and, and so you you say to him. I would, I would love to be able to un, un, help you to understand why I've had to say no, but if I, if I explain it to you, you wouldn't understand it. Mm. Look at Daddy. Does Daddy love you? Yes, Daddy loves you. Mm. Does Daddy want to hurt you? No, Daddy doesn't want to hurt you. Does Daddy try to bring good things into your life? Yes, Daddy tries to bring good things into my life. Is Daddy a bad, evil man? No, Daddy's not a bad, evil man. Then, then walk down the hallway and say to yourself, I don't know why daddy has said no to me, but my daddy is a good daddy. Mm, wow. That's good. Uh, that's excellent, Paul. Thank you. I, um, uh, with that, uh, I've got a, a bunch of quotes, and I promise I'm not going uh, to bombard you with quotes, uh, but there's just a few to, to, to get us into this. This one, uh, I think, is related to what you just shared. You write in, uh, in New Morning Mercies, here's the bottom line, right here, right now. God isn't so much working to deliver you, uh, your, uh, or he isn't so much working to deliver to you your personal definition of happiness. He's not committed to give you a predictable schedule, happy relationships, 
or comfortable surroundings. He hasn't promised you a successful career, a nice place to live, and a community of people who appreciate you. What he has promised you is himself, and what he brings to you is the zeal of his transforming grace. No, he's not first working on your happiness. He's committed to your holiness. Um, again, our reader, or our our listeners who uh, are also readers, many mm-hmm. of them, just want to give you a taste of uh, what Paul has written in his uh, wonderful book, New Morning Mercies. Um, Paul, is there a, uh, I mean, there's the easy targets, the health, wealth, gospel guys, you know, that are, you know, kind of the Cadillacs and the cash and the, and the great health. Do you right. think, and I may have heard you talk about this in a conference, uh, years back, and I don't know if I'm using your term. Is there a softer version of a prosperity gospel that you see at work, even in what we would call pretty solid biblical evangelical churches? Well, I see, I, I think this is one of the, the the brilliant and beautiful things that suffering does. It's beautiful, but it's painful. It's spiritual surgery. Suffering does a brilliant job of exposing the inadequacy of places where we put our hope. Mm-hmm. If you put your, your, your hope, if what gives you peace and rest is your, your physical health and you're now sick, you have no hope and rest. Mm. If if you put your your hope in your affluence and you've lost your job and the stock market is tanked, you have no rest and hope. If you put your hope in an identity in the acceptance of other people and you've just faced massive rejection, you have no hope. Mm. You see, it's 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 not that God doesn't care about my happiness. The Bible is a treatise on joy. Mm-hmm. It's that the, the God understands the only place where my joy will be sturdy and unshakable it's, is when it's in Him. Mm-hmm. So, so God willingly will, will uh, compromise the places where I have put my hope in order that I would put my hope in him. Mm-hmm. So so prayer is never a vending machine mm-hmm. where you put in your your quarters and you get what you want. I, imagine putting your quarters into a vending machine, pressing uh, Coke, and the machine would say to you, that's probably an unhealthy choice. I'm going, I'm going to dispense for you orange juice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 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 well, you'd be you'd be kicking the machine. I think that's why many people say God doesn't answer my prayers. Mm-hmm. Many many people are are uh, angry with God. One of the things that was stunning to me in twenty years of sitting in an office with people counseling, I ha- when I was in seminary, I never thought I would encounter this. The degree to which so many of the people I counseled. Beneath their struggle was anger with God. Mm. Yes. Because, because they had that sort of vending machine view of their relationship with God. Mm. That, that, that God being good will deliver to me uh, his, my definition of happiness. And, and the place in Scripture where, where this is really confronted is in the passage that these people most often quote. It's Romans 8, where it says all things work together for good. If you just pull that out, 
it sounds like it means God always wraps my life with a beautiful bow. Mm-hmm. What, it, what the good is, if you look what the passage says next, is the good of our redemption. Uh, that who he calls, he'll justify, and who he justifies, he sanctifies, and who he sanctifies, he'll glorify. That the good is that God will complete the one thing that I desperately need that I can't do for myself. Yes, my my salvation. Yeah. That's the good. Excellent. It's not that it's not that every circumstance will turn out in the way that I dreamed it has. Mm. That's good. That's good. Paul, this is Nathan. Um, I, as you were talking about, um, you know, people sitting in your office and coming to you and and talking about prayer, something just kind of um, popped in my mind. Do you think that some of the reasons why there are so many people who are coming in believing that their prayers aren't being answered may come first and foremost from the fact that they don't necessarily know how to pray? Do you mm-hmm. think that's that's a possibility? Good question. Oh, it's, it's absolutely the possibility. I mean, it's, it's absolutely true. And that's, the, again, I, I just, I, I'm just blown away by the, just a mind-bending brilliance of the Word of God. Uh, just, a, the, just the ability of, of Scripture to anticipate our struggles and to speak into them. And one of the places is Christ's model of prayer in Matthew 6. Mm-hmm. Our Father art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. So that tells you right away that the whole ball game is God's glory. Mm-hmm. The whole ball game is not my glory, not the glory of my success or the glory of my possessions or the glory of a big sizzling steak. It's God's glory. That's what life is about. Yeah. And then what does, it, what does it say next? Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I mean, that is a prayer of surrender of all of my little kingdom agendas, kingdom of self for my life, to the greater agenda of the kingdom of God. I I literally believe that what Christ is teaching us to do is wake up in the morning and say, your kingdom come, your will be done right here, right now in my marriage. Your kingdom come. Your will be done right here, right now in my finances. Mm. Your kingdom come. Your will be done right here, right now in my work. Your kingdom come. Your will be done right here, right now in my neighborhood, in my parenting, or whatever else in my life. Mm-hmm. And so that's what prayer is about. Prayer is uh, always a surrender of all of my thoughts, all of my desires, all of my thoughts of my needs to the greater glory and the greater agenda of God, mm. knowing that he is compassionate, that he's understanding, that he never turns a deaf eye ear to the cries of his people, mm-hmm. that he is respondent to my true needs, but he's not a machine. Mm-hmm. Excellent. So, so with that, Paul, it could be very possible from what you're saying that as we're praying, God, your will be done, let's say, in my finances, that God's will in someone's particular finances could be the fact that 
they end up living from paycheck to paycheck <laughs> for the rest of their life uh, in no more and no less. Is that absolutely, mm-hmm. absolutely? I mean, and God could know that the the worst kind of difficulty for me, the difficulty that would be for me, expose my susceptibility to the temptations of the enemy would be affluence. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and so God, because He loves me, I want to say it this way because I think it it gets attention. Because God loves me, he doesn't want me to suffer affluence. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> yes. Boy, that <clears throat> that is not something, Paul, I would see on too many church signs. Uh, you know what I mean? I'm just saying. <laughs> yes, right. It, it would be interesting <laughs> to see that. God loves me <laughs> so much he doesn't want me to suffer affluence. But what a provocative thought. Yeah. Uh, anyway, I had to chime in on that one. Wow. Well, or or... Or unbridled physical health, mm. or or to be the most popular person in the room, or yes. why does God hold those things from us? Mm-hmm. Because it's best for us. Mm. Yes, you know, I I love it. Well, I actually hate it, but you know what I mean. <laughs> I love it when people say, "All I want is God's best." Mm-hmm. Mm. And I'm thinking, you're getting it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I mean, do you, do you actually think, I mean, if, if God is withholding his best from you and he's given you maybe the second or third best, what kind of God is that? Why would you ever, for a moment, trust him? Wow. Uh, I mean, he's, what I'm experiencing it's his best for me. Now, is that always easy for me? No. This past 18 months have been very, very difficult. Yes. I mean, I have, I've suffered. I've suffered weakness and pain that I never thought would, would be in my life. Mm-hmm. But, but it's not because God has forgotten me. Mm-hmm. It's not that he's pushed me down to the fifth best that he has for people in, in ways that I may never be able to put together this is God's best for me. Mm. And he means for this to produce a harvest of good. Let me give you the, the, the ultimate argument for this. It really is found in Peter's first sermon uh, in Acts 2, where he says that Jesus was delivered to the cross by the hands of evil men, that this horrible thing that happened to Christ, the one perfect man who ever lived, facing horrible torture as the result of a gross injustice, was done at the hands of evil men. But Peter's not done. Mm -hmm. He then says, according to the foreordained plan of God. Mm -hmm. What he is actually arguing is the cross is at once the very worst thing that could ever happen and the very best thing that could ever happen. Mm -hmm. That's what God does. God takes the the things that we would call the worst things ever and produces the best things ever in us. Mm. That's, That's what God alone 
can do. And because that's true, it means I will have hardship in my life. I will have hardship in my life not because God has abandoned me, but because God loves me. Amen. I love, Paul, how in your book, and I've heard you, you know, in conferences and things like that, uh, talk about mercy, you know, rebuking mercy, uh, uncomfortable mercies. Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't think we – uncomfortable mercies, I don't think that's a category for many Christians that we have. Yes. Um, You know, when when you've – obviously God's given you a wonderful platform through books and conferences. And uh, speaking of conferences, I think it was a couple years ago, my wife and I had the privilege to attend the Gospel Coalition Conference, and you were one of the speakers. And we were in the elevator. You walked in, uh, and – my my wife Tracy just said she looked at you. She said, "You're Paul Tripp," and you just said, "Yes, I am." And <laughs> at that moment, this was my first opportunity just to say hi to you and to try to. I wanted to communicate my gratefulness of how God's used you in my life. I had this giant bag of books. Uh, at that moment, you said, "I am Paul Tripp." My bag busted open. <laughs> Every book I had all over the floor. Your you the the elevator doors opened, and you just turned to me. It was great. You just said. Your bag broke, and you walked out. It was wonderful. <laughs> so, thank you for your ministry. Uh, how that's blessed me. But <laughs> yes, that's good. Now, wait a minute. Now, hold on. Matt. What you're saying is Paul held the door and helped you pick up all those books. No, <laughs> because because here's why. Here's why. Because you knew God's mercies yeah. were uncomfortable, and God was giving me best, and you didn't want to interfere. No, it was awesome. But God obviously has given you a great platform and a, and a message. Um, and I love the way that you're helping us think through the gospel in, in everyday life. When you look out at the broader body of Christ, um, as it relates to what I think would seem like in many ways, at least over the last decade, kind of a, a, a greater gospel resurgence throughout the body of Christ, where are you most encouraged where you see the body of Christ really starting to move forward and embracing the truth and the beauty of all-inspiring mercy, uh, rescuing mercies, even uncomfortable mercies, and where are you still most grieved or just like, wow, the church really has a long ways to go in grasping the gospel? Mm. Uh, wow, what a, what, a, what a great question. Here's, here's what I think. I'm, this will sound strange, I think. I'm, I'm not most encouraged by the fact that we have rich gospel worship and rich gospel preaching. Uh, I, I think that's wonderful. I, and I, I, I love whenever a piece of music helps me to see the, just the glory of the grace of Christ or a sermon, uh, makes me want to stand up and say, where is this Jesus? I want to follow him. I think mm-hmm. that's beautiful, but that's the easy stuff of Christianity. Mm-hmm. I mean, when I'm, when I'm on, on Sunday morning with a thousand people, and we're singing a hymn. It's it's pretty easy to be taken up by that. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I'm listening to a a skilled communicator of the gospel, it's pretty easy for me to buy into that. What what is what is really encouraging to me is this resurgence of looking at life through the lens of the gospel. Mm-hmm. You know, how what does the gospel say about our suffering or our sexual life or our our money or our marriages or our parenting or our relationship with our neighbors or a, a, a host of, of other things because uh, the, the, the fact is that 
that God is not just satisfied with our formal worship. Hmm. What he wants is the the moment-by-moment worship of of our hearts, hmm. and that, that God is not just a forgiving God, he is a transforming God, hmm. and he wants to transform the way that we think about ourselves and we live our lives. And and that's just the, that's the, can I say this? That's the dirty work of the gospel. Yeah. 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 Where, where it just gets down into the grime where we live yeah. and, and begins to clean, clean it up mm. uh, by the, by the power of the grace of Jesus. Mm. So I, I'm, I'm really encouraged by that. The, just the, the practical approach of that. And, and I think that's, transforming preaching I, I I hear more and more preachers where it's 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 not just an exegesis and a couple applications but what the preacher is doing is with his first few words he's dropping that passage in the middle of your life mm-hmm. and then he keeps it there the whole time and so you're you're hearing exegesis in the context of where you live every day. I mean, I think that's a beautiful thing. Now, where I'm concerned, I am still concerned that vast majorities of people do not understand worship. Mm. They, they don't understand that worship is first my identity before it's ever my activity. Well, what that means is uh, I don't just worship on Sunday. I worship my way through every moment of every day. Uh, you could, it, it means that there's something always in possession of my heart, something always ruling my heart. And what rules my heart will then set the direction for my words, my actions, my choices and decisions. And, and because people don't understand worship, they don't understand idolatry. Mm. Uh, that, that, most the, the vast majority of the idols that get us aren't religious. Mm-hmm. That's true. Uh, they're, they're everyday things. And, and the biggest struggle with idolatry is not that I want evil things. The, the biggest struggle, most deceptive struggle, seductive struggle of idolatry is that my heart is ruled by the desire for good things. Because here's the principle, a desire for even a good thing becomes a bad thing when it becomes a ruling thing. Mm-hmm. Yes. Pleasure is a God-given thing. He's, he's put us in a beautifully pleasurable world, and he's given us all kinds of pleasure gates. But pleasure must not rule your heart. Wanting to be right is just a human thing. You, you want to think that you think right, but living... To be right is a very dangerous thing, and you will—you can't live with a person who has to be right all the time. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Paul, who have you been talking to? I'm sorry, go on. Yeah, <laughs> you know, want, wanting control is again a natural thing. Yes, but being ruled by control is a very dangerous thing. So, so, so it's not just that I desire evil things, but my heart gets quickly seduced and controlled by good things mm-hmm. because every 
every good thing in life is not meant to command worship. It's meant to ignite the worship of God. Mm-hmm. So I mean, that's really, that's great. So you're, you're obviously speaking to two pastors, uh, Greg and myself, that, that preach pretty much every week uh, in our congregations. And, um, and obviously I know there's other pastors and other ministry leaders that listen to this podcast. So what would you say in light of that? What would you say to us and to the audience that have this opportunity? Because obviously every Christian is a counselor because they're, they're heralding truth in their conversations. Um, what would be one thing that you would kind of exhort us as pastors or ministry leaders in light of that weakness? Good question. Well, I, I, just, I just think that uh, it's – you have to preach uh, – to the hearts of people, the, mm-hmm. the true thoughts, desires, and struggles of their heart. You, ha- you have to address where the spiritual war takes place. Mm-hmm. And, <laughs> and what that means is that if you use the terminology spiritual warfare with the average Christian, they think demons and deliverance. Yes. And what they don't understand is that uh, life is war. Mm-hmm. There's a war taking place in every situation, in every location of my life. And that war is for control of, of my heart. Uh, and you see this in First Corinthians 15, where mm-hmm. Paul is, is exegeting the, the resurrection, but he talks about what Jesus is doing right now. He's reigning, and what is he doing? What does he say? He's putting enemies under his feet. Mm -hmm. That means there's conflict still going on. And he's going to do that until the last enemy is under his feet. And he's going to say, beloved, enter into my presence. All things are now ready. So everything is war. Uh, Parenting is war for my heart and the hearts of my children. Marriage is war. Uh, My relationship to the created world is war. And so I want people to be alerted to the war that's being fought for their hearts and be aware of their absolute inability to fight that war on their own. Because I can run from a situation, I can run from a location, I can run from a circumstance, but I can't run from my own heart. Mm. And that means they need a savior and not just one who justifies them, but one who fights that battle on their behalf, and they need to rest and run to this sufficient warrior savior mm. who, who died for their victory. Excellent. Excellent. Paul, this is uh, Greg, and um, this is going to be my last question, and I think I'm going to kick it to Nathan, who's going to uh, uh, wrap it up some. If I could take... Um, a slight deviation, uh, but I want to relate it to something I really, really love about your ministry, Paul, is you, it, it almost sounds like a cliche, but it's so steeped in grace uh, and have very much benefited from your emphasis on the grace of God, uh, not just in saving us, but in keeping us, bringing us all the way home. Um, this is one of those things that I, uh, I'm going to be very careful how I ask it. Because I don't blame you or your brother Ted for this. Let me give you an experience that I've had 
I see happening in different places. Um, parents sometimes have kids that are that are difficult to raise. I, I bet you were aware of that. Uh, and, <laughs> um, so what will happen is uh, churches like ours and many will do Bible studies uh, on books, wonderful books, like I bet you've heard of, like uh, Shepherding a Child's Heart, Age of Opportunity. Um, and uh, every so often, I've had a few parents confide this in me. They say, Greg, I, what do I do when we're in church? One of my kids is restless, is not looking very obedient. And somebody comes up to me afterwards with a sweet smile and says, I just wanted to ask you, have you read um, Shepherding a Child's Heart? Uh, uh, you know, again, I, I think you know, I in no way blame the author. But, uh, and I'm not, you know, obviously you and your brother are different people, but you both have written wonderful works uh, that I think help parents think biblically, not about formulas, but about the heart. Um, could you just address that? What What is it we should be aiming for uh, in a culture of grace, because uh, I know you've written on that, particularly for Christian schools as well, and done some leadership tracks on that. What do you have any word to those parents that say, "Man, I, I'm having such a hard time with my kid, and I wish my kid behaved like the Joneses' kid, or the Smiths' kid, or the Thompson kid"? Um, can you address that parent, those churches, on matters of grace, culture, child rearing? I, I know I'm, I'm giving you a wide yeah, just, platform, sure. but I, I'd uh, love to hear your thought on that. This is not meant to be a commercial, but I have a brand new book out called Parenting. <laughs> yes, yes. Matt is reading we it, aren't you, you up. It's Perfectly, <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. 14 gospel principles that can radically change your family. And the reason I wrote that book, I had no intention to write a parenting book. Hmm. But as I listened to parents, what I heard was well-intentioned, well-meaning parents saying to me, "I if I, if I just have a neat set of rules that manage and control the behavior of my children should they be okay. Mm. And so what, what those parents are actually doing is asking the law to do what the law was never meant to do. Wow. Well said. The, the, the law does a great job of exposing sin. Mm -hmm. The law is a wonderful guide for life. But the law has no ability whatsoever to change you. Yes. If the law could change you, Jesus would have never had to come. Mm -hmm. The whole move of the biblical narrative says that. In fact, I've said to parents, there is a book in the Bible that is there for the sole purpose of telling you that your strategy will never work. Mm. It's Romans. Yes. The whole argument of Romans is the the law can't do that. That's why the grace of Christ is necessary. Now think about this. There's two things that will happen if 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 I'm asking the law to do what it wasn't intended to do. First, no wonder I'm going to be overwhelmed. No wonder I'm going to be frustrated. No wonder I'm going to be discouraged. Because what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to shovel smoke with a rake. <laughs> that's great. <laughs> oh, that's getting in Sunday. <laughs> yes. It, it, just, it just won't ever work. Mm. Second thing is, is if I assign myself the ability to change my children by law, I will end up doing things and saying things that I should do. Mm-hmm. 
I crank up the volume because I think volume helps. <laughs> I, uh, I uh, use stronger words because I think words help. Mm-hmm. I bigger threats, bigger punishments. Uh, now, do children need authority? Of course they do. And this is what this is what makes me a bit nuts. If I could confess this, when I say to parents, "What you need to do is parent with grace." They here be permissive. Oh, that's mm-hmm. so true. Yes. Yep. And and grace is not permissive. Mm-hmm. Think about this. If grace never calls wrong right, because if wrong were right, there'd be no need for grace. Mm. <laughs> yes. The fundamental acknowledgement of grace that led Jesus to the cross is that wrong is wrong. Mm-hmm. But but rather than just relying on the law, or rather just condemning words, announcing a punishment, and walk away, I move toward my child asking, what does the Redeemer want to do in this little boy or this little girl's heart right now? Yes. What does he want them to see? What does he want them to confess? Where does he want them to change? And how can I be part of that gracious work right here, right now? Mm. So good. Once again, we have been um, speaking with Paul David Tripp, um, particularly about um, his new book, New Morning Mercies, a daily gospel devotional. Um, Paul, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, Again, we want to be so mindful of your time. Uh, We know you have another appointment to get to, so we we want to make sure that you are keeping that. So um, thank you once again uh, for coming on with us. Well, it's been my privilege, and I get get, – the distinct honor of talking about these things. I mean, how amazing is that? Yes, (laughs) yes, yes. That's great. So we're going to go ahead and sign off now. Greg, Matt, Paul, we just rocked the Casbah. Trip style. Ladies and gentlemen, you just finished listening to Paul David Tripp talking about his book, New Mercies. Uh, Great little devotional. We do want to give away three copies of this book to our listeners. Uh, The way you're going to be able to get a hold of this is by... Uh, just going ahead and reposting or retweeting uh, our podcast on your Twitter account. So go ahead and retweet. We're going to give three away. So again, if we have three people who retweet, all three of you get the book. If we have more than that, then we'll go ahead and we'll do our, our lottery. Also, we wanted to make the announcement for the winners of the Richard Belcher contest that we have. You're going to receive a copy of his book, Prophet, Priest, and King. We had two people who did the iTunes reviews, Nevlik. Nevlik was one of them, says, I love the podcast. And uh, Warrior Poet 06 says, it's one of the best. Um, so, guys, thank you so much. Once again, Nevlik, N E V I L K, and Warrior Poet 06. Make sure you email us at these go to 11, the number 15 at gmail.com. These go to 11, all spelled out, then the numbers 15 at gmail.com, and we'll make sure you guys go ahead and receive a free copy of Richard Belcher's book, Prophet, Priest, and King. Thank you guys so much for listening. Hope you enjoyed, and we'll catch you next time. These go to 11.